This podcast is a production of the Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, visit our website at www.communitycovenant.net. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, Choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles, who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to faith. Wow, the mystery box is over. The rest is a piece of cake, right? My goodness, it gets tougher and tougher every week. Wow. Okay. All right. Well, I don't know if you heard recently in the news a story about a confused pilot that landed his plane at the wrong airport. Any of you pilots here? Anybody? Pilots? No one's going to own up to it, are you now? Okay. Uh huh. I'm not picking on pilots, but as a pastor, they say, use illustrations that are relevant to the congregation. And uh, I know that we have a number of pilots here, so I'm going to just begin with this and tell you the story. You may be familiar with the Boeing 747 Dreamlifter. It's a modified plane that can haul uh, as much or more cargo than any plane in the world. It weighs about 600,000 pounds and usually requires 9,200 feet for a runway. But on November 13th, a wayward Dreamliner missed its intended destination of McConnell Air Force Base near Wichita, Kansas. Instead, the jumbo cargo plane landed nine miles north at the wrong airport, Jabara Airport. Now, Jabara has no control tower and only a runway of a distance of 6,100 feet. Okay. Now, a spokesman at the Air Force Base said that the tower was in contact with the pilot, but the guy had no clue where he was landing the plane. Uh, The the pilot told McConnell Tower, uh, apparently, uh, er, um, we've landed at Beach Airport, a third airport located between McConnell and Jabara. So when he landed at the wrong airport, he didn't even know that he had landed at the wrong airport, but it was a different airport than he thought he'd landed in. So this guy's really confused, okay? Now, eventually it got sorted out. The aimless pilot finally figured out which wrong airport he had actually landed his plane at. 
A replacement crew came, thank goodness, all right? And after removing most of the cargo, they were able to take off on the shorter runway and get the plane to McConnell, the right airport. Okay? This morning, as we look into Acts chapter 6, we, we see this new church, these followers of Jesus, at a very critical moment in the life of their church. It's a critical moment because they are facing a challenge, a challenge that threatens to separate them, to cause disunity in a church where just a couple chapters earlier in Acts chapter 4 it said all the believers were in one mind and spirit. There were no needy people among them. But here, fast forward to Acts chapter 6, we see that unity being threatened and we see that there actually are now people that are in need and that is really the basis of the disunity that's developing and the problem they're going to have to face. Where we are right now in Acts chapter 6, the church is at a very critical moment. How are they going to respond now to this internal crisis? Now, up until this point, they have experienced pressure from outside the church. There's been persecution that has taken place, and yet they've survived that. You may remember just a chapter ago that uh, Ananias and Sapphira had lied and been deceitful within the church. And so there was sin in the church. They dealt with that. They had survived that. But now, now, they are experiencing another challenge. And that is a challenge to the unity of the church. And the question is, how and where are they going to land the plane? In other words, are they going to keep on course and keep the church moving in the direction that God had called them to lead it? Critical moment here in the life of the church. That's the context of our passage. Let me, let me give you a little background. Our passage begins by reminding us that the church was growing. And as the church grew, that led to this issue. Here's the issue. There were Jews, Hebrew Jews, who were from the area of Palestine. They were native Palestinians, native to Israel. And then there were Hellenistic Jews... When you hear Hellenistic, what you're really talking about is Greek culture. These were Jews that had been dispersed outside of Palestine and Israel, out into the world. And they had come back. And many of them, during this time, had become converts in the sense that now they're Jews who are following Jesus. They're joining uh, the movement of the early church. And so what's happening here is... You had a monoculture, monoethnic church that is becoming more and more multi-ethnic and multicultural. In just a few chapters, we're going to move from having Hellenistic Jews and Hebrew Jews to having Gentiles. And as this is happening within the church, there are all kinds of challenges that the church is facing to respond to this. In Hebrew custom and culture, in Jewish culture, Caring for widows and orphans uh, was a big deal. And what was happening was there were Jews coming back, returning to Jerusalem from outside. Because in Jewish culture and custom, 
It was believed that if you were going to die, you wanted to die in Israel. Why? Because those who believed in a resurrection believed that in order to be resurrected as a good Jew, you'd return to Israel and be buried in your homeland, and then you would be subject to the resurrection. So here's what's happening. There are Hellenistic Jews, those influenced by Greek culture, primarily Greek speakers, where the Hebrew Jews were speaking Aramaic, although they knew Greek because Greek was like the English language of the day. It was, a, it was a language of commerce. But the Hebrew Jews primarily were speaking Aramaic. And, and, the, and the Greek Hellenistic Jews, they were primarily Greek speakers, and they were influenced by Greek culture. And the Hebrew Jews kind of looked at the Greek Jews and said, you know what, they're kind of suspect. They've kind of compromised and given in to the, to the Greek culture and customs. They're, they're Jews, yeah, but they're really not the blue blood Jews that we are. Okay? But what happened would be families, older couples in particular, would return to Jerusalem to die because they wanted to be buried in Israel. Because they had a belief that if you were buried in Israel, when the resurrection came, of course, you'd be a part of it. Here's what was happening. Well, they'd come back. The men would die first, right? And so you had a disproportionate number of Hellenistic or Greek Jewish widows in Jerusalem who were kind of outsiders or the minority population within the Jewish church. Okay? And so there's an issue of how to deal with this. And obviously, in the synagogues and in the Jewish practice, there was a a priority placed on caring for the widows, but, of course, we're going to care for the widows of the people we know that are Hebrew Jews. The widows who are native to Palestine or Jerusalem. And then what's left over we'll give to the the widows who are what? Hellenistic or represent the Greek Jews who have migrated back. Do you see what's happening here? And so as that's happening, there's an unequal distribution of food and, and care for these widows, these Hellenistic widows, if you will. And that issue works its way into the church. And as it works its way into the church, it says in our passage as we begin that the Hellenistic Jews begin complaining. Well, the word complaining there in the Scripture is the same word that's used in the Old Testament when the people grumbled against Moses in the wilderness. Remember that? And so literally, the word there means they were speaking unpleasant words against their Hebrew, bro- their Hebrew brothers. Okay? And now we have the apostles saying, what are we going to do? That's the critical moment. Are we going to ask the minority group within our new church um, to just kind of suck it up? And uh, they have to take second place to the majority? Or are we going to try to rectify this in some way? In other words, they reached a point in the growth of the church where the church was becoming multi-ethnic, multicultural, at least in the sense of Hebrew custom and culture and Greek custom and culture, these new followers of Jesus. And the leaders had to decide, what are we going to do about this? Are we willing 
to make adjustments? Are we willing even to change the organization, the administration of the church to accommodate the growth that we're experiencing and the differences that that growth brings? Do you see that? That's the issue here. That's the issue here. Now, we know that this church, the early church, was what we call a healthy missional church. A healthy missional church. What does healthy mean? Healthy means pursuing Christ. They were healthy in that the members of the church and the church body as a whole, which, by the way, by this time, many scholars think, had reached up to 20,000 people. 20,000 followers of Jesus. They were healthy in that they were pursuing Christ as individuals and as a body, as a church. But they were also missional. They were not only pursuing Christ, but they were missional and that they were pursuing Christ's priorities in the world. And guess what? As a result of being healthy and missional, they now had the challenge to respond to this crisis so they could continue to be healthy and missional. That's what's going on here. So, the apostles, in their wisdom, they say to the disciples, the followers of Jesus... Go and select seven men from among yourself. Now, in Jewish custom and culture, uh, it was uh, a practice to have committees, right? Oh, they were good churchmen already, weren't they? Right? Committees. To have committees of seven men who would have various tasks and serve in various ways. So they chose seven. They said, now go and you choose seven. Now, notice they didn't choose the seven. It wasn't the Hebrew Jews selecting the seven that would administrate to the Greek Jews. All right? It wasn't the majority dictating to the minority. It was the majority empowering the minority, saying, you pick seven from among yourselves. Now, here's a requirement, that they be men of good reputation. Two, they be full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom. Those are the requirements. And then go pick them and bring them back. And they did. And you'll notice in the list of the seven, they all have Greek names. Okay? And so the wisdom of the apostles was to empower the minority to change the administration, the organization of the church to better care for all the members of the church and not to, not to tell the Greek Jews how to care for their widows but to involve them, to empower them in caring for their own widows, which were their widows as well. Now that, to me, is wisdom that comes from the Holy Spirit. Okay, Wisdom from the Holy Spirit. And you know, as we care, and we continue that practice, the Bible, this custom, this practice, is continued today. today James, what, one twenty-seven? what's it say? It's up on the screen here. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. If you ever want to know if you can be involved in a ministry that has the blessing of God without question, you don't have to pray about it. You don't have to think, does this please God? There it is. That's why it was important to this early church. That's why they took the steps they did to reorganize the church in the administration of the church so that they could faithfully administer 
to this group of widows. Now here's the question. As a church, Community Covenant Church, as we are healthy and missional, healthy meaning pursuing Christ, missional meaning what? Pursuing His priorities in the world. As we are a healthy missional church, as that's what we're moving, wanting to be, to what extent are you and I willing to stop and evaluate who we are as a church, including the structures and the administration of our church, to better reach and minister to those whom God brings us? That's a challenge, isn't it? Are we willing to do that? Certainly we see here in Acts chapter 6 that modeled for us. I know you're uncomfortable. It makes me uncomfortable. Because what you just heard me say is, are you willing to change for the sake of the gospel? For the greater mission of reaching people for Christ and helping them become disciples? Are you willing to do that? Here's the question we have to ask ourselves. To what extent are we willing to be inconvenienced and sacrifice our comfort to pursue Christ and His priorities in the world. That's not to pursue our own comfort, our own convenience, what makes us feel good. But to what extent are you and I, right now, the body of Christ, the Community Covenant Church, willing to be inconvenienced and to sacrifice our comforts? For the sake of pursuing Christ and His priorities in the world. That's a challenge. That's the challenge of Scripture. But I think it's a great challenge. You know, when I was at a church in Sacramento, we had, let me kind of contextualize this to take Acts chapter 6 and give you a living example of how a church responded. We had an issue, the church. The issue is that this church was built in the 50s and it had a lot of hallways outside with cement walkways and railings. Now, if you're going to be an attractional church and you want to attract a certain segment of the population, our church was perfect for attracting that segment. Skateboarders. (laughs) And they came from all over Northern California. In fact, you could go to YouTube and you could see pictures of the things they were doing at the church, including skateboarding off of roofs. It was crazy. And people would walk out after a class in the evening or in the afternoon, and it was like walking onto a freeway. And there was physical damage being done to the church facility. And so the impulse was, well, wait a minute, this is our church. This is an inconvenience. And who are these weirdos anyway? They don't look like us. They don't talk like us. They don't dress like us. They don't even drive cars like us. They drive these four-wheel things with a board on top. And so the impulse is to do what? Get rid of them. Right? And it caused an uproar in the church. What are you going to do about it? And uh, some of the most concerned people were, of course, our older members of the church older chronologically in terms of their own age because it really was a safety hazard for them. I mean, they they had given up dancing years earlier, okay? And now they were having to do the two-step on the way to Bible study or prayer meeting. 
and they came and they met with me. I was the executive pastor, the lead pastor. I said, Todd, why don't you handle this? Uh, uh, the buck stopped with him, but the skateboarder stopped with me. And so I was meeting with them, and I was listening to their concerns. And, and I don't know, one lady spoke up and said, You know, this reminds me of my grandson. And she said this, and it turned the direction of the whole conversation. She said this. She said, it reminds me of my grandson. And oh, how I would do anything. I would pay any amount of money that only he would come to know Jesus Christ as his Savior. Everybody kind of stopped and they paused. And then I said... Let me ask you this question. How many of you agree with that? If you have family members, that you would you would stop at nothing to have them come to know Jesus. And all of them said, absolutely. Then I said this. What are you willing to do to see somebody else's grandson come to know Jesus? And out of that, the whole tenor of the conversation changed from let's get rid of these skateboarders to how can we reach them for Jesus? And to their credit, they were the impetus for a movement in the church which resulted in the church spending $80,000. Kurt, don't worry, I'm not going to suggest that in this budget cycle. All right? All right. All right. This is the 90s, the good old days. All right? $80,000 in built a skate. You see, the parking lot of the church was adjacent to a city park, and there was an old tennis court in disrepair. And so the church went to the city and said, could we partner together? If you let us use the land, we'll build a skate park. And the church built a skate park. And not only did the skateboarders use the skate park, but it gave the church an opportunity to do what? To minister to them and their families. See, that was a critical moment. That was an Acts chapter 6 moment. When the established church was being challenged of what to do. And in the midst of responding, was there going to be unity? Were they going to continue to be a church where all believers were one mind and spirit and there was no needy people among them? Okay? And that was that church's response. Now, there are three major obstacles to responding to opportunities to reach out to people who are different than we are and to make a place for them in our church so that they become who we are. See the difference? Number one is pragmatism. It's so much easier to have a monocultural church. Imagine living life in a monochromatic world where everything was a muted gray. Wouldn't that just be wonderful? Why would we want to do that in our church when it comes to culture? Wouldn't it be better if our church reflected the whole culture of the community that we're a part of, of the state that we're a part of, of the mission that Christ has sent us on, and that we welcome those who maybe are different from us or coming from a different place than us, and that we actually make accommodations to change in order to create unity and to further the mission of Christ in the world? Wow, what a thought. But you know what? 
It's a lot more pragmatic just to remain the same. Why? Because we want to avoid pain and inconvenience and unpleasantness. It's a lot easier just to do things the way we've always done them, which, by the way, right, is the definition of insanity, to do things the way you've always done them and expect a different result. Right? Because change can be uncomfortable. It can be inconveniencing to the majority group. And it gets back to our initial question. To what extent are we willing to be inconvenienced and sacrifice our comforts to pursue Christ and His priorities in the world? So number one is pragmatism. That's an obstacle. Number two, avoidance of, of, of pain, discomfort, inconvenience. And number three, those two things just lead to an unwillingness to change. Unwillingness to change. And yet we see modeled here for us in Acts chapter 6, the wisdom of those who are filled with God's Spirit and wisdom who are willing to make significant changes for the sake of the mission of the church. Now, Todd, why are you bringing this up? Because if we are going to be a healthy missional church, that is, if we're going to pursue Christ and His priorities in the world, what are we going to have to do? We're going to have to look at challenges like this as they come within our context and see them as opportunities. As opportunities. To realize more and more the reality of God's kingdom. That we want to be a church that announces to all people in all places the rule and reign of God through Jesus Christ. Boy, I almost leapt off my feet. Alright? That's my reason for getting up in the morning. That's what I live for. Because you know what? When that's done, and my role and that's done, then I'm just ready to go be with Jesus. Okay? But that's what we want to be about here. Now, I told you today is the pilot day. Okay? We have to be committed to the shake. That's the transition, the changes that may occur as we endeavor to be healthy and missional. There's a pilot named Chuck Yeager. You know him. What did he do? He was the first person credited to breaking the sound barrier. Many pilots had gone before him. But this is what would happen. These test pilots would get to the place where they would get just before the sound barrier and the plane would shake and rattle and they'd be scared to death the thing was going to fall apart. What would they do? They'd pull back on the throttle. Consequently, no one broke the sound barrier. But Chuck Yeager determined before he went on that, that flight in which he broke the sound barrier that when the plane began to shake and rattle, rather than pulling back on the throttle, he was going to push forward because he was committed to the shake. And you know what happened when he pushed forward? He burst through the sound barrier and there was calm. Smooth air. And he had accomplished his goal. Well, Community Covenant today, as we say, we are committed to becoming a healthy and missional church. What we're saying is, like those who came before us in Acts chapter 6, we are committed to the shake for the sake that rhymes of being healthy and missional.
So as it was in Acts chapter 6, may it be with us. As the worship team comes forward, I want to just encourage you, if, if what I'm talking about today is challenging you or maybe it's inspiring you, if you're excited about the direction we're going as we're moving to become a healthy and missional church, to respond to opportunity like the disciples, the apostles did in Acts chapter 6. Maybe you want to pray this morning about that. Maybe you have business with God that you need to do. Our prayer team is in the back. There will be people willing to meet you there and pray with you. But my hope is that we will all pray, all pray, into this reality and this opportunity that we're moving into here at Community Covenant.